the rest of us, we can turn our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. I'll say today, this fan is a blessing. I've been running around with this generator. And it's aimed perfectly. Everything's perfect up here. <laughs> so 1 Peter chapter 4. Now the last time we looked at this epistle was about, I think, four months ago in November. And we looked at verses 12 to 14. And we're going to continue this section today. Uh, that's, that's all part of the same topic. And it starts there in verse 12 where Peter says, we, as Christians, we should not be surprised when suffering comes our way or persecution comes our way. That's something to be expected, and we looked at that last time. Now, as you know by now, Peter's audience were very familiar with suffering because of their faith in Christ. And they were not only suffering because they believed in Christ, but they were suffering because that faith in Christ moved them to do something about it or to make certain changes in their lives. That is why it's not a private faith that causes suffering, a faith that you just keep for yourself. It's something that you work out that actually causes this suffering to come your way. You know, these people, they wouldn't join in with the riotous parties that the unbelievers had during that time. They wouldn't join into the um, idol worship that was so common in that time. It was just part of their culture, right? They didn't join into that uh, because it was, well, it's unchristian. It's, it's against the law of God. And, and these and many other changes um, were the things that happened in people's lives, the changes that happened in their lives, and that made the unbelievers suspicious of them. You know, these unbelievers didn't understand the changes that Christ makes in somebody's life. And that still hasn't changed to that day. There is no way for an unbeliever to ever understand what the change is that Christ can make in a person's life. Some, or maybe most of you here today, have experienced that before. Um, or maybe, you know, when you got saved, or maybe when you started to get serious about following the Lord, where you, you saw that people are starting to misunderstand you. Or they're looking at you strangely because, I mean, you, you've changed. You're not the same person that you've, that you've been. They don't get it. They, they don't get why we give so much of our life towards this, call it this cause if you want, or give our life to Christ, rather. They don't get that. They don't get why we give so much money so that the gospel can be proclaimed throughout the world. They don't understand why we are so eager to come to church and why we want to be amongst fellow believers. They don't get that. Unbelievers will never understand any of these things, and this is something that will continue until that day when the Lord comes to fetch us. Um, there is no way for an unbeliever to understand the difference that the Lord makes in our lives and continues to make in our life. Now, sure, some of them may be forgiving, they may be and that's okay, but they just won't get it. The interesting thing is that believers can see the change that has happened to you. That's noticeable. You know, if the Lord comes into your life, that's a noticeable change. They don't get it, and that's when some of them start to react with hostility and in different levels. You know, they see how your life is getting cleaner and cleaner, and when they look at their own lives, they only see the dirt of their own sin. And that's when they start to say things or think things like, oh, you just think you're better than I am, right? Uh, when it's not true, 
Well, it shouldn't be true. We shouldn't be thinking that we're better than the unbelievers. Uh, like I explained in my previous sermon, we are better off, definitely. We're certainly not better, you know. We know that there is a judgment coming, right? I hope you know that today. There is a judgment coming, and we know what the verdict is going to be in that judgment. If you are in Christ, you are safe and you will go free. If you are not in Christ, folks, you will go to a place that is so horrible that no amount of words can describe the pain, the anguish, the loneliness, and just the overall suffering that you will experience for all of eternity. And it is because of this faith that the world becomes hostile towards Christians. They don't like that we believe these things. <laughs> they hate that. Because the darkness hates the light, right? Because the light exposes everything. Like today, we need some light. <laughs> like literal light. <laughs> but they don't like that, folks. Uh, and so Peter says there in verse 13 that we should rejoice in the fact that we get to partake of the sufferings of Christ. That's something to rejoice about because we know that there is a, a reward waiting for us and it's an honor to take part of the sufferings of Christ or to partake rather. You know, some, some believers need to take part of his sufferings even unto death. That is going to be required of some believers and it is required of some believers. Some only have to partake to be tortured and not necessarily die. Some have to partake in the mockery that Christ um, had to endure as well. But whatever amount of the sufferings is that, that a specific Christian needs to partake in, Peter says that we can rejoice in that. We should, in fact, rejoice in that. He says in verse 14 that we are happy if we are reproached for the name of Christ. And that's the right thing to suffer for. It's the name of Christ. And when you do, you are glorifying Christ when you do that. But then he continues there in verse 15 to explain that there are certain things that you should not be suffering for. So let's start there in verse 15 today. He says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. Now we, we understand what a murderer is, we know what a thief is, and we know what an evildoer is, and each of these things can bring about different kinds of sufferings. During the time that this was written, you would actually be put to death if you were a murderer. Uh, you could even be put to death for being a thief, or at least get some sort of physical punishment for that. Now, now I think that would seriously discourage somebody from stealing, wouldn't it? Might not be a bad idea. And Peter says that you shouldn't be under any illusion when you are going through suffering for things like that, that you are suffering for the name of Christ if you do those things. You're not, all right? If you break the law, then expect the law to catch up with you. If you suffer because of doing an evil thing, don't expect the Holy Spirit to rest upon you, like Peter says there in verse 14, um, would happen if you suffer for the name of Christ. Don't expect that. The same goes if you suffer for being an evildoer, like he says here. Um, an evildoer is somebody that basically just commits any sort of crime. Um, if you do that, well, don't think that you are suffering for Christ if you go through suffering then. You're not. Even though you might be a Christian, you're not suffering for Christ then. All right? You're suffering because of your own stupidity. 
and you deserve that, right? But it's interesting to see that Peter includes here at the end of this list being a busybody in other men's matters, along with being a murderer, being a thief, being an evildoer. That's interesting, right? Now, just in case you don't know, a busybody is somebody that likes to poke their nose in other people's business, all right? Um, we have a nice brief description, and we can turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. It's a nice brief description of what it means to be a busybody. Now, in the, in the context of 1 Timothy 5, while you're finding that, um, Paul is telling Timothy how the church should care for widows and what qualifies somebody to be a widow to be cared for by the church. And then in verse 11, he tells um, Timothy to actually refuse the younger widows because they can remarry. Now, we're not going to go into all of that right today. That's, that's not our topic for today. But let's read what um, Paul says will happen to these widows um, if the church does, just continues to support them and you know, basically keep them alive. Look at verse 13. He says, And withal, they learn to be idle. What is that? That's laziness. They learn to be lazy. Wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also, and busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. He says, if the church continues to support these younger widows that are still able to work, you know, they're still able to do their thing, they will start to become lazy. They will learn to be idle. And they will start to go from house to house, you know, wandering around, because they have nothing to do. There's nothing going on in their own lives. And they will start to pick up stories from people. And they will start to spread their stories around, you know, becoming a tattler. All right, what's that? That's a gossip, right? That will start to become gossips. I think the, <laughs> the picture that came up in my mind when I, when I was reading this was, you know, that tip, stereotypical image of the ladies sitting there in the salon, right, with those things on their head and <laughs> discussing everybody's husbands and business. All right, that's, that's what it is, right? They have nothing else to do. They just sit around in the salon all day. <laughs> Paul says they will become busybodies that start to poke their noses in, in other people's business um, because they have nothing else to do. So they poke their nose in other people's business in things that have nothing to do with them. So you see the road, uh, how the road um, to becoming a busybody um, starts. It starts with being lazy. And yes, in this context, Paul was talking about younger widows. That's true, all right? But you're not off the hook yet. <laughs> this applies to everybody, right? If, um, we're not going to turn there, but Paul addresses this again in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. I'll read it for you. He says, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. If you don't have anything going on in your life, well, you will eventually start to intrude into other people's business. And the, in the last decade or so, I think social media has made this extremely easy, hasn't it? Right? If, you're, if you are already lazy, man, you don't even have to go out of your house anymore to wander from house to house to pick up stories, you know, and to gossip and all of that. In fact, the, the people that have things going on in their lives are advertising it on, <laughs> on these social media platforms for everybody to see. So it's a gossip and a busybody's dream come true, right? Now, of course, meddling in things that have nothing to do with you can land you in trouble. 
And that's why Peter included busybodies in this list. Don't think that you're suffering for Christ simply because you're a Christian, but you got yourself into trouble by murdering, stealing, being a busybody, or committing any other sort of sin. And I, I believe that we've got the whole scope of sins here, right? We've got even from a murderer all the way down to a busybody. So, so Peter is opening it up like that and basically saying, if you are committing any sort of sin and you get in trouble for that, you suffer because of that, you shouldn't expect that special comfort, that special type of grace that the Holy Spirit gives to those that suffer for the sake of Christ. Can the Holy Spirit still help you and comfort you? Sure. Sure he can, but he may decide not to do that in that case. He may decide just to pull back a little bit right, and let you experience the consequences of the things that you've done. That's part of the chastisement right, that, that the Lord gives us. But that's not what he does if, he's, if you suffer for the name of Christ. In that case, we see, we see this in the Bible, and we've spoken about this last time, that he draws especially closer to that person that's, that, that is suffering for Christ, and he strengthens them in a very special way. And you can expect that from him in that circumstance. Absolutely you can, because that's a promise that we have from him, that he will do that. Just don't expect that if you're suffering because of your sin. All right? And, and as Peter says here, none of us should be suffering for our sin. We can come back to First uh, Peter chapter 5. None of us should be suffering for our sins. So what's the solution to this? Well, just do, don't do those things, <laughs> right? And you won't suffer. Verse 16, he says, Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Now this type of suffering is is obviously the same type of suffering that Peter referred to back in verse 14, where he said it is being reproached for the name of Christ. So being reproached for the name of Christ and suffering as a Christian is one and the same thing. Every Christian needs to know if you suffer for the name of Christ or because you are a Christian, then that is nothing to be ashamed of. Nothing. This is the exact opposite of what what we read about in verse 15 just now, right? If you suffer because of the sins that you've done, yes, you've got a lot to be ashamed about. You You don't need to be ashamed if you suffer for the name of Christ or as a Christian. This is important to keep in mind, folks, because... The people that make you suffer, um, in whatever capacity that they're making you suffer, they want you to feel ashamed of the things you believe in and the things that you're doing for Christ. They want that. They will say and they will do all sorts of things in order to achieve that purpose, to make you feel ashamed. They will say that uh, you are foolish for believing the Bible. You're foolish uh, for having your faith in Christ. They will say that you are a horrible person for whatever made-up reason that they can think of. They will try and embarrass you in whatever cruel way they can, like they did with Christ on the cross. They will try to embarrass you. They they might even give you a chance to recant the things, uh, you know, your beliefs. To recant means to say that, okay, I don't believe those things to be true anymore, those things that I held on to. They may try to make you recant. These are the types of things that that we saw them do to Christ. We saw them doing all throughout history to the saints, and it's even happening today. And each case is different, of course, you know, where the suffering is happening, and the way that they make people suffer differ as well. Um, But a Christian needs to know that even if 
these people make it so difficult, you have nothing to be ashamed of. Absolutely nothing. You don't have to be ashamed of Christ. You don't have to be ashamed of his gospel. The persecutors are stumbling at the stumbling stone like we read about in in chapter 2. Jesus is the chief cornerstone, right? Um, Paul quoted from Isaiah in Romans chapter 9 verse 33 where he says, As it is written, Behold, I lay in Sion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. That's Jesus. And whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. You will not be ashamed if you have your faith in Christ. You never have to be ashamed for your faith in Him or of Him, you know, Christ Himself. But it is unfortunate to say that we do have a lot of Christians that are ashamed of Christ and are ashamed of His gospel, even though they might, are not even suffering for that cause. Um, these people won't even dare to open up their mouths to tell somebody about what they believe in, and why they believe in that. They would rather hide. They would rather hope that nobody notices, right? Now, sure, in a setting like this, like we have here today or in any other church, it's a popular thing to say, well, I believe in Christ, I follow Christ, and we talk about Christ, and, and you know, that's what we do here. What happens when you leave these doors? What happens when you go to work tomorrow? What, what happens when you go to school, you know, or university? What happens when you're at home? Are you ashamed then? Some people go through their entire lives as Christians, and they never, never try to tell anybody about Christ or about what Christ has done for us. They don't even attempt that. And to be honest, that has never made sense to me. You know, the day that I got saved... I, w- I was so overwhelmed, and I, and I thought, well, I need to tell people about this. It just made sense, because somebody told me, I was like, I need to tell people about this, right? I, I, d- I don't know why we don't do that, but I do know this, that if you open up your mouth, you might lose something. You might lose your reputation, yes. Yes, you might even lose your job. Yes, it's unfair, but it might happen. You, you might lose the respect of the people that you surround yourself with if you start talking about Christ. That's true. Folks, you know that you might lose family because of that? Your family might say, well, we don't want anything to do with that religious nut anymore. Right? You might lose them. But even though that happens, all right, even though you have to go even through that type of suffering, you don't have to be ashamed of Christ. Not at all. Not at all. There's nothing to be ashamed of for being a Christian. It's an honor and it's a privilege to be counted worthy for suffering as a Christian. If you're a Christian, that means you follow Christ, right? Um, And so instead of being ashamed of that, you can glorify God because of the suffering that you can go through. You can glorify Him for everything that that He has done for you and for His children. You can glorify Him for everything that He's doing right now and for everything else that He's still going to do and accomplish for us as the children of God. You can glorify Him for all of that even when you are going through suffering because of it. Look at verse 17. Peter continues, he says, For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? 
Now, I think that it is clear that Peter is pointing out that this judgment is starting with us as Christians. We are the house of God, right? Now, some people might get scared when they read a verse like that and think that, well, now God is going to one day judge me whether or not I can still be saved or not, all right? But that's not the case here, okay? We have enough Scripture, and we compare Scripture with Scripture. We have enough Scripture that tells us that when the Lord saves you, you never are lost again, all right? But according to Romans 8 verse 1, for instance, there is now no condemnation to them uh, which are in Christ Jesus, none. To be condemned means to, well, go to hell, basically, right? Um, or to go to that lake of fire. All of that has been dealt with by Jesus when he died for you and when he paid for your sins. All of it. But now after we get saved, we do unfortunately continue to sin. Now I've met people before that tried to tell me that, well, since I got saved, I've never sinned again. You know, my sin has been taken away. I I don't have (laughs) any desire to do that. I doubt that, (laughs) okay? Uh, If you think that, then I really think you need to drink some humble juice and just get back down to reality, right? (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's right next to the gummy berry juice, you know. (laughs) What are those things? Gummy bears, there we go. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) why? (laughs) All right. But you see, the thing is, people will say, well, you don't know me, you know? You don't know me. I don't sin anymore. Why don't you believe me, you know? I don't have to know you. The Lord knows you, and the Lord has told me in His Word, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, that if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. You're lying to yourself if you say that you're not sinning anymore, all right? We absolutely continue to sin. The ultimate penalty for our sin has been dealt with, you know, by Jesus, but we continue to sin. And so, the judgment that begins with us, the house of God, is the decision that God then makes on what to do with us whenever we sin. God's desire for us is for us to be changed into the image or the likeness of Christ, right? So whenever we sin, God will lovingly chasten us, and that ultimately leads to our cleansing, to our sanctification. We read there in in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 32, that when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Being judged by the Lord is the same as being chastened by the Lord. You know, the Lord chastens us like a loving father chastens his children so that they can see their sin for what it is and so that they can repent from it. You know, we read in those famous verses in Hebrews 12, verse 6 to 7, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? I'm not going to chasten your son. (laughs) All right, I won't do that. But if you are my son, you will be chastened. And um, that's exactly what the Lord does. If you are his child, he will chasten you. If you are not, well... You have, you have big problems, then you might not be a son of God. Now, part of this judgment that, that Peter talks about, I believe, is also the judgment seat of Christ, uh, where every believer will appear before the Lord. And He is going to judge us, folks. For those of us that are believers here today, He is going to judge you for everything 
um, that you did after he saved you. You will be judged. Now, time won't look, allow us to look into how that works, but we've looked at that before. Um, but I think most of us are aware that we will be appearing before the Lord. I just think many of us tend to live as if that judgment is not coming. We think, well, we're saved. I can just go on with my life. There is a judgment coming. Sure, you can't lose your salvation there. Right, it's not like the Lord is going to um, start to lie and throw you into the lake of fire after he saved you. You can't, you can't lose your salvation. But I think all of us would like to hear that the Lord is pleased with us, isn't it? We don't, we don't want to hear him being disappointed in us. Never mind all the rewards and things waiting, you know, if you've been a good child of the Lord. But we want him to be pleased. We want him to smile at us when we stand before him in judgment. Um, I think that's what we all want to see one day. Now, Peter asks a rhetorical question there at the end of verse 17. Let's just read it again. He says, talking about this judgment, if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? That's a terrible thought. That's a terrible thought. With, you know, with judgment beginning with the children of God, it's only going to be so much worse for those that don't obey the gospel of God. So where will they end up? Let's turn to Revelation 20. We'll look at that quickly. Um, just at, at this specific judgment. Revelation 20. Got it? Verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, the least important to the most important, right? Stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Those books record everything that you have done in your life as an unbeliever. Everything, according to your works. Verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Folks, this is the end of those that do not obey the gospel. They will be judged by the righteous judge of all according to their works, as we just saw there. That is what, what's waiting for those that are without Christ. And, you know, you receive Christ by actually obeying the gospel. Now, what does the gospel say? The gospel says, well, you need to repent. Give up all of those things, you know, and rather cling to Christ. Put your faith in Christ to save you um, from your sins, to deliver you. There is no other escape for anybody. That means anybody. It is through Christ alone. That's the only way. 
And so Peter's point here in verse 17, we can come back to 1 Peter 5, is that it is infinitely better for somebody to go through suffering for Christ in this life, to, in, to endure that with joy and to be sanctified through that, than to go to this great white throne judgment that we just read about and be cast into the lake of fire. So much better to, to endure these sufferings here. Look at verse 18. He repeats, basically repeats this idea in verse 18. He says, And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Now, he's not saying that the righteous are almost saved or maybe partly saved or anything like that. He's talking about the difficulty by which we are saved. The, the pain and the suffering that Jesus had to go through to make salvation to all of us available is immeasurable. You can't even begin to explain that. Along with the obvious physical sufferings that Christ went through, there were also the spiritual sufferings that he had to endure when he became a curse <laughs> for us, um, a curse to God for all the sins of mankind. And, and then you can add to that the difficulties and the sufferings with which the children of God have to endure in this life because of their faith in Christ. And if you take all of that in in account, right, what, what kind of difficulties do you think the ungodly is going to be faced with in eternity? If that is the type of difficulties that Christians go through and the difficulties with which we m must be saved, their suffering is going to be far greater compared with the suffering that the righteous are going through in this life. It is going to be terrible. And so in conclusion, verse 19, Peter says there, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. There is nothing that you have that is more precious than your own soul. And so if you, if you have to commit or entrust your soul to, to somebody, um, you know, to, to commit this, means it's like when you take your money and you put it in a bank. You're telling the bank, guys, I'm trusting you with my money. I'm trusting that you're not going to lose this. You're not going to you know, be wild with this or whatever. You're going to keep it safe for me. So if you entrust your soul with somebody, you want to make sure that that person is so reliable, so trustworthy, and is able to keep that soul of yours safe. And Peter says, that those that are suffering for the name of Christ should commit their souls to the faithful Creator, the one that made you, the one that knows you, the one that knows everything about you. He is perfectly able to keep your soul safe forever, and He will do so as well. Now, some of you, I, I don't know, maybe this is the first time you've heard about this great white throne judgment, and you, you might be afraid that, well, you might be going there one day. Um, I don't want to beat around the bush. If you die without Christ, you will go to that judgment. You will be found guilty because of the sins that you've done in your life, right? And so if you're not sure how to be saved, be, feel free to come speak to me, speak to Pastor Mike, somebody else here, but um, there's, there's only one life that we have here on earth, only this one chance to make it right with God, so to speak, you know, and to go to Christ. This is your chance. Let's pray. Father, 
thank you so much for all the provisions you've made in Christ for your children. Lord, you have so many promises, so many, so many good things, Lord, that you've given us. And um, I, I, I don't even know if we can even fathom all of it. <laughs> Thank you for being with us all, all the time and everywhere. Lord, thank you that we can know that even when times get tough down here on earth because of our faith in you, we don't have to be ashamed, we don't have to fear, but we can take it with joy and that we can glorify you through that. Lord, if you, um, if you allow that to happen in our lives, please help us to remember these things. And... Um, now, please, please help us to be a good witness, whether we are suffering or not, but to be a good witness unto you. Thank you for all that you do. Please bless the rest of this day and the rest of this, uh, the next service, Lord. And please come and work in our hearts still. Amen.